Well, good evening. Good evening. Are you here? Are you awake? Let's wake up. Glad to have you here with us online anyway. Uh, whether you're there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, be sure to like, to heart, to share, to retweet, subscribe, follow us there, do all those things. Uh, that just helps, uh, especially if you uh, like our services there, that helps to put us up there in their um, algorithm things. Uh, commenting helps tremendously. More than just saying I'm here or watching, if you say a little bit more of a sentence there, uh, that makes it even more important. Because if you ever look on Facebook, you'll notice uh, that you'll see uh, the most, con uh, the, I forget what they call it. What's, it, what's the, there's the ones that are all comments and then there's ones that are most important comments or some something like that. I forget the term. Most relevant. That's it, most relevant. And those are usually more lengthy comments, not a just hello, hi. Uh, so uh, be sure to comment a little bit more. That lets us get that word out even more through their uh, algorithms. That's just one of the way to get the word out there about our services. And want to say welcome to those of you listening on our phone live streaming. I uh, just want to say, too, if you have any issues there with the phone live streaming, uh, please give us a call at the church office. We'll be glad to talk with you and work through whatever we can. We do know that uh, music does not translate well over the phone lines, so uh, you can't hear that as well. It is a little muffled with that, uh, but we'll do what we can with the other parts of it to help you with. Uh, it's the same signal that goes out to the online feeds uh, that goes to the telephone feed, uh, but it automatically calls you on that phone line, so if you need that number, see me after church, call the church office, we'll be glad to get that to you. If you have access to the church website, I want to encourage you to go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download the worship bulletin, uh, the children's worship bulletins there in the windowsill over here to my right. And I noticed uh, this morning, uh, it, we use, some bulletins that we have have a secret code on the bottom that your kids, you can go to a website and there's some little games that they can play that also go along with this and there's a secret code, but it cut off the edge of that secret code there. So um, we will try to get that, it may be there completely on the website. If you go to look at that code on the website, you may be able to see it there. If it doesn't, we'll make sure we get that uploaded so that you can uh, be able to access that code. But be sure to share that. You can take paper copies that we have here, uh, especially on Sunday nights, and take those with you to give to other individuals. You can send the link to other people, uh, just another form of outreach there. And then while you're under that info tab, also download the prayer list uh, so you can be praying for the people on our prayer list throughout the week. And then also while you're there on the church website, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, do your online giving for your regular offering, your golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Uh, those envelopes are around, and you can place those in the offering plate uh, as you leave tonight. So do continue to pray about giving to the golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Do continue to pray for our missions work. And then also, don't forget that we still have... Uh, we, thank you to those who signed up today. I did see that we had some of those who asked to be put on that list uh, to sign up that did sign up today. But we still have a few more uh, individuals, you know, bags that we need. Most of those are in the 11 to 14 and the 15 to 17 age groups. Uh, and so if you would like to be put on that list or to get that signed up for that, uh, we're asking for uh, underwear, T-shirts, or tops, if it's girls, and socks uh, for them. Uh, but we don't want you to just bring those 
those things. We want to make sure we're getting the right sizes and the right gender uh, for what we need as, as well as the right ages. Uh, so uh, please help us with that. We've got seven more uh, that I saw online before service. Somebody may sign up during the service, uh, so uh, that'll be fine too, uh, but we'll try to get you signed up if you want to want some help with that uh, tonight. But don't forget, Trunk or Treat is coming up. You can help us with candy. You can help us with volunteering, security, serving food, uh, walking around talking to people. Uh, you can also help uh, just by bringing candy and putting it in the box out here across from the office. A lot of ways that you can help with that outreach that we have. So uh, if you want more information about that, uh, talk to me after the service or call me sometime this week here at the church office. So, Brother Mike, turn it back over to you. Miss Rima and I were practicing this song a little bit before we got started here tonight, and I don't think I could have chosen a song any higher than this one. So, <laughs> the thing about it is, it's unison at the very beginning, so we're all going to be together. High, courses where we split off into the parts. Miss Rima. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all stand up.
and I hesitated about whether to even say anything about this, but um, I encourage you to stay tuned to our social media this week. I uh, was, was on the phone with uh, uh, some people about being here next Sunday, so uh, hopefully I can't share anything until I know from them tomorrow morning. Uh, they had a cancellation and needed a place to, to go, and so uh, stay tuned. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. <laughs> so we'll put an announcement out on all of those as well as our website. So take your Bibles tonight and turn to Genesis chapter 9. And I know we're not going to get all the way through verse 28, so we're not even going to try. We're just going to get through verse 17. And in fact, it's better because verse uh, 18 and on down through the end of chapter 9 goes better with chapter 10 uh, anyway as we're looking at the descendants uh, of Noah there and then the nation and how it descended from Noah in chapter 10. Uh, and so that's going to go better with chapter 10 anyway. So we're actually only going to get down through verse 17 tonight. So we're looking at verse 1 down through verse 17. Uh, the message I've entitled it, Life, uh, because that's exactly what we're going to see here is now that Noah and his family come off of the ark, God gives them some instructions, some challenges, some encouragement about life in general itself that also apply to us uh, as the commands that he's given us uh, to do also. So uh, we're just going to begin with verse 1 of chapter 9 in Genesis. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much. What a powerful book this is here in the book of Genesis that sometimes we, we don't always understand how it always applies to our lives, but yet there is always that application that you make known to us. And so, Father, I pray that's what you will show us tonight once again as we go through the book of Genesis here. Father, that here in this chapter, as you begin to bring the blessing uh, to Noah, as you begin to show him, them the challenge, uh, the command that you want them to focus on uh, as they come off of this ark to start new life again on the face of this planet. Father, I pray that we will see that that command has not been absolved. We are still, Lord, to make it a priority uh, that life is important in every aspect, in every way for our lives. So bless us tonight. Uh, show us your truth. Show us your word. And help us, Lord, to see how it applies to our lives uh, for the future, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us to have a closer walk with you. And, Lord, also that we would hear and see the gospel message that if there are those who are listening or watching or here present tonight who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, may this message, may this word from, from the book of Genesis in chapter 9 speak to their hearts to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. So bless your word in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you be seated. So in this paragraph here in Genesis 9 verse 1 down through verse 17, God addresses these eight survivors of the flood and gives them some instructions concerning four areas of life that we're going to look at tonight. And, and, and though given initially to Noah, 
and to his family, to these eight individuals, these instructions apply to people of all the ages and all places. Uh, they are permanent ordinances, permanent commands from God for all of humanity. And they're things that we shouldn't ignore uh, or, or be altered. Uh, life is precious and it needs to be handled with care. And so the first thing that we see that the Lord tells uh, Noah here to do is to multiply uh, life. We see him given the message here of multiplying life. We see it in verse 1. Uh, that we just read a moment ago that he said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth but then move on down to verse 7 and he says it again and you be fruitful and multiply increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it so multiplies there multiple times when you we've t talked about this before when you study God's Word you see a word that's repeated it's a word that you ought to pay attention to uh, because it's important there that the Lord is emphasizing that word over and over there for us to to get the message from it. So here's the picture of what has happened at this point. When Noah comes out of the ark, he is kind of like a second Adam, if you will. So think about Adam and Eve and the garden. They were the father and the mother of all uh, humans on this earth. Then came the flood and God destroyed the entire earth with a flood. Uh, and then we have Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, uh, those three sons and their three wives. So that was a total of eight people uh, on this ark besides all the animals uh, that were there. And so Noah coming off of this ark is kind of like an Adam, if you will, uh, who's about to usher in a new beginning on this earth for the human race. So we can trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, but along the way there we can also trace all of our lineage back to Noah and to his wife. And so uh, when he comes out, he's kind of like that second Adam. Uh, faith in the Lord had saved Noah and had saved his household from destruction. And his three sons are, are challenged here, commanded here, to repopulate the whole earth. Uh, in fact, you, you'll see his three sons listed there uh, in verse 18, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, God had told Adam and Eve, when you go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, he had told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And he repeats that mandate twice here to Noah and to his family in verse 1, as we read a moment ago, and in verse 7. And so all of Noah's descendants were important to the plan of God. Now, some families are a little bit farther along in, in populating the earth. They have some large families. <laughs> Others of us, we've got smaller families. But in, in, in what we see in the Word of God, we are to be multiplying uh, and repopulating the earth. That's what he was commanded, and that's a command that still is here for us today. And so all of Noah's descendants, they were important to the plan of God, but especially the line of Shem. Because it's from that line that will come Abraham, who's going to be born, uh, the man God chooses to establish the Jewish nation. From that nation will come our Redeemer who will fulfill what Genesis 3 and verse 15 talks about, about the Messiah who would come, who would crush the serpent's head. Uh, 
So in Scripture, uh, we see this all throughout the book of Genesis, but all throughout Scripture, children are described as being a blessing, not a curse. Now, sometimes that's different from what we hear today about people uh, talking about their children, that their children are a burden. Uh, that, that their children are not a blessing, their children uh, are a curse. But in Scripture, children are described as a blessing, not a curse. And to have many children and to have grandchildren was evidence of, of the favor of God. God promised Abraham, you remember the promise he made to Abraham? He said that his descendants would be like what? You look up in the stars in the heavens, you see all that, it'll be like the number of the stars. He said, you look out there on the seashore and you see all that sand, he said, your descendants are going to be like that uh, also, like the sand uh, on the seashore. And, and the patriarchs, the church fathers, talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would be as the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea. Uh, and and the, these patriarchs gave the blessing of fruitfulness on their heirs. So anytime you read about Abraham leaving a blessing uh, on Isaac, he lays his hands on him and he says this very same thing, be fruitful. Uh, when you see Isaac doing this to Jacob and uh, there, you see the blessing that he lays of, uh, upon him. Uh, you see the same thing there. It's always that blessing that continues uh, of being fruitful uh, to their heirs. And so the Lord made this covenant with the nation of Israel to give them many children if the nation would obey his laws, would obey his commands. And many people today don't seem to have that same kind of attitude towards children. I mean, we think about what goes on in our world with abortions of children. You think about child trafficking and such and all kinds of, of things that, that, and the way people treat children in our world and in our society. In biblical times, Jewish couples wouldn't have even considered aborting a child. No matter how difficult the circumstances or, or how meager their resources were, uh, life was God's gift and children were a heritage from the Lord. They were treasures to be protected and to be invested in for the glory of God. And, and so that speaks to us not only as parents, maybe you're here tonight or watching online and you've not been able to have children. And that's fine. That's okay also in that respect. God still wants you uh, to, to uh, acknowledge and, and treasure uh, children, uh, to invest in children. As a church, we're to be doing that, investing in the next, next generations. If we don't do that, then the church will die. And so the re making sure that we are... Uh, doing that ministry uh, of, of blessing children and, and uh, raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord of protecting children, investing in their future ought to be a priority for us in this world and in this life. And so he says we are to be multiplying life. He says also to Noah and to his family that they as well as we are to be sustaining life. So look down to verse 2 down through verse 4. We're to be sustaining life. So in verse 2 it says, The fear of you, the fear of who? The fear of God. And the dread of you, of who? Of God. Shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish and the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every morning... 
or, or sorry, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you as I gave you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is the blood. And so, in fact, that you there is speaking to Noah and, and to his family. He's saying you, that there's going to be this dread, uh, this fear, if you will, upon all the creation on this earth of you uh, as humans. Uh, a survey was taken in 1900 that revealed that people felt that they needed 72 things in order to function normally and to be content. Fifty years later, they did the same survey again, and, and the total came to nearly 500 things that people felt like they had to have in order to function normally and be content. I don't know what in the world the survey would say today of what we think we have to have uh, to sustain life, to function normally, and to be content. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible lists only two. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing. That's a huge difference from what we think we need to sustain in this life, to function normally and to be content. When you listen to what Jesus said, remember Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus taught the same truth when he spoke about the birds and the flowers. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 down to verse 34, he said, If the heavenly Father clothes the flowers with beauty and gives the bird their food... He said in that, in that message that he gave, he said, Surely he will provide food and raiment or clothing for his own dearly loved children. He goes on to say in verse 32, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, food and clothing. When God established Adam and Eve in their garden home, he gave them fruits and, and plants to eat. But after the flood, he expanded the human diet here to, to include meat. And, and so the, the harmony in nature that Adam and Eve had enjoyed was now gone. I mean, think about that. Before the flood, at least as far as we know, uh, before the flood, especially in the garden, we know for sure, uh, that, that's all they ate was plants. Uh, they ate fruit. Uh, they didn't eat the animals at that time. Uh, their diet didn't include meat at that time. But then, after the flood, the Lord tells them that it's okay to eat the meat. Uh, the harmony in nature that Adam and Eve had enjoyed was gone, and Noah and his family, they didn't have dominion over the animal life like Adam and Eve did. So now the animals, he says here in these verses, the animals are going to fear Humans. The animals are going to do everything possible to escape the threat of death. And since most animals reproduce rapidly and their young mature quickly, uh, the wild beasts, the wild animals could easily overrun the human population. And so God puts a fear of humans into the animals. You think about Cain. Cain was uh, a farmer. Abel was a shepherd, but Noah and his sons 
were hunters. So we find that, that God does that, but we also find that he puts a restriction on eating animal flesh. Here's what the restriction is, is that the meat must be free of blood. Look at verse 4 again. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So God states concisely to Noah what he later elaborates through Moses about, that life is where? In the blood. And the life must be respected even if uh, you're, you're killing an animal to eat it uh, as a feast. Uh, when you're butchering that animal to eat it as a feast, uh, that life still ought to be respected. You ought not to be killing animals just to kill animals. Uh, so in this restriction, God revealed again his concern for animal life. Life's in the blood. That life comes from God, and it ought to be respected. Furthermore, the blood of the animals, as we're going to find out going through the Old Testament, the blood of the animals is going to be important in, in the Mosaic sacrifices. Uh, so that the blood had to be treated with reverence. And so that's the second thing that he tells us and tells them is they are to be sustaining life. They're to be multiplying life. They're to be sustaining life. Here's the third point that he gives them. He says you are to be protecting life. You're to be protecting life. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. And he says in verse 5, And for your lifeblood, talking about humans, for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So from instructing Noah about the shedding of the blood of an animal, the Lord proceeds to discuss an even uh, more important topic, the shedding of human blood. So, so far throughout creation up to this point in Genesis chapter 9, uh, mankind ha didn't have a very good track record at this point when it came to caring for one another. I mean, you think about Cain. Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Lamech had killed a young man and bragged about it uh, in that same chapter, in chapter 4, verse 23 and verse 24. A and the earth had been filled with all kinds of violence that we read about uh, back in chapter 6 that brought about the flood to start with. So God had put the fear of, of humans into the animals but now he had to put the fear of God into humans lest they destroy one another. Those who kill their fellow human beings will have to answer to God for their deeds because people, he says, are made in the image of God. And so to attack a human being is to attack God, and the Lord will bring judgment on that offender. Uh, so all life is the gift of God, and to take away life means to take the place of God. So the Lord gives life, and he alone has the right to authorize taking it away. But how did God arrange to punish murderers and to see that justice is done and the, the law is upheld? What he does is he establishes human government on the earth and in so doing shared with mankind the awesome power 
of taking human life. It wasn't to be a, a flippant thing that was to happen. It was to be done with much uh, uh, searching of heart and, and looking at the evidence of things that had happened. Uh, and, and we see that that's the importance of God's mandate in Genesis 9 and verse 6 when he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So he says, don't kill man. And so someone would look at it and say, well, he says, don't kill man. But then he says in verse 6, you can kill a man. So what's that mean? He's giving the authority here to humankind to share in, in that authority that he has. He's the giver of life. He's the taker of life. He established human government uh, and, and shared that responsibility with us. So that's the importance of the mandate there. Human government and capital punishment go together. As Paul explains over in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 down to verse 7, government authorities carry the sword and have the right to use it is what Romans 13 is talking about. Under the Old Testament law, remember there was no police force like we know. So what was it? It was, it was kind of like what we might think of, probably worse than, but what we might think of the Wild West. You know, it was just a free-for-all. Anybody could do whatever, and they were doing that up, before, up until the time right before the flood. There was all kinds of violence. People were killing one another. I mean, it had happened all the way back to Cain and then to Lamech, and then people just, it just began to explode. And so under the Old Testament, there wasn't this police force like we know it. If a murder was committed... It was up to the family of the victim to find the culprit and bring them to justice. So you could just imagine what would happen with that. Uh, there's a difference, though, between murder and involuntary manslaughter. So the Lord instructed the nation of Israel. Uh, you'll find this out reading through the rest of the Scripture. He establishes six cities of refuge. Uh, those places, those six cities of refuge were a place to which an accused murderer uh, could flee for safety. If he got to that city, nobody could touch him until the trial happened, until they began to investigate uh, things. It was just kind of a, 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 a step there that would wind up protecting uh, that individual by them being able to go uh, to that city. Uh, so six cities that they set aside as these types of, of cities where they could flee, these cities of refuge. So the elders of the city they were charged with protecting the accused murder until the case could be investigated. And if the accused was found guilty, then and only then could the family proceed with the, uh, of the deceased could proceed with the execution. Uh, since the murderer had shed blood, the murderer's blood must be shed. So government was established by God because every human heart is evil. You see that in Genesis 6 verse 5. And the fear of punishment could then help to restrain would-be lawbreakers. The law, could, the law can restrain, but understand this. The law cannot regenerate. The law can't change the heart. So you can put a fence around the property, but that doesn't mean that the cows aren't going to go over the fence. Same thing with us. And so unless the heart changes, the desires change, uh, the law can't do that. The law can restrain, but it cannot regenerate. Only the grace of God can change the human heart. But if individuals and families or groups were allowed to deal with offenders in their own way, society would be in a state of constant chaos. 
And so human government, it has its weaknesses, it has its limitations because we're not God, but government is better than anarchy and people doing what's right in their own eyes. In fact, that's what we find when we come to the end of the book of Judges is that people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so having that government established there by the authority of God begins to place some limits, some restraints on what man could do to one another, some limitations uh, upon it there. And so uh, God ordained and he established three institutions on this earth, marriage and the family, uh, marriage and the family, human government, and the church. And each one of those has its sphere of responsibility. And one should never substitute for the other. Each has its own sphere of responsibility. So understand this, the church holds the sword of the spirit, not the sword of justice. And yet throughout history, we can see that the church took a place that was not its authority that God had given. Uh, when you see the church uh, doing things like the Inquisition and, and killing people, burning people, uh, even at the stake. And so uh, God placed some restrictions there on those three institutions of marriage and family, human government, and the church. So the church holds the sword of the spirit and, and, and not the sword of justice, but if the government interferes with matters of Christian conscience, then we as believers have the right to disobey. Uh, you think about things like capital punishment. No, this is not a message on capital punishment, but it comes up here uh, in this. Uh, does capital punishment, sometimes people ask, does capital punishment deter crime? Does any law deter, deter crime? Does parking laws deter crime? Does speeding tickets deter you from speeding? <laughs> Maybe not as much as we desire, but the punishment of offenders does help the society to honor law and to honor justice. Nobody knows how many people learn about convictions and, and think twice before they disobey the law. And, and so the law helps to protect and the law helps to compensate innocent people who are victims of lawless behavior. Not everything that's legal is biblical. So regardless of what philosophers, regardless of what parliaments, regardless of what courts may say, God's mandate of capital punishment begins with whoever. It was given by God to be respected and obeyed by all people. So he says, here's the institution I'm giving you because I don't want this to happen like it did back with, with Cain uh, when he went and killed uh, his brother. I want it to happen like it did with Lamech. I don't want it to be like it was right before the flood where everybody's just living a lawless life. Here's some restrictions. You need to count life precious. So then he gives a fourth charge to them about life. Here's that fourth charge. You're to be enjoying life. So it's not all negative that he's giving here or all uh, things. He's saying multiply life. He's saying sustain life. He's saying that we're to be protecting life. But he also says we're to be enjoying life. Notice verse 8 down through verse 17. So we're going to read all the verses, and then we'll come back and look at some of the, the points here in it. So in verse 8, he says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, 
Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So pay attention to what he's saying there. This is a covenant that's not only with Noah, not only with his children, but it's with every living creature that was on the ark there. So he says in verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now this section is what we call throughout the Bible the, the Noahic covenant. In other words, it's a covenant that involves Noah. Uh, there is a Mosaic covenant which involves Moses. There's the Abrahamic covenant that involves Abraham. This is the Noahic covenant uh, that involves Noah here. Even though God speaks especially to Noah and his sons, this covenant includes all of Noah's descendants. You see that in verse 9. Behold, I will I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So all the offspring that comes after Noah, he's establishing this covenant with them. Uh, so even though we, we see that there are some specifics when we get to Moses and Abraham in those covenants that apply directly to the Jewish people, this is a covenant that applies to every human being on the face of this earth because we all come from the lineage of Noah. So all of his descendants is who we are. And so uh, here is Noah. He makes his covenant with Noah and all of his descendants, all the generations to come. Uh, verse 12 says, all the future generations. Uh, verse, uh, we see that the, the covenant doesn't stop there. Uh, however, because it also includes every living creature. You see that in verse 10. You see that in verse 12. You see it in verse 15. All living creatures of every kind. Humans, birds, uh, beasts, wild animals. All of those are encompassed in this wonderful covenant. In this covenant, God promises unconditionally that he will never send another flood to destroy all life on this earth. Would floods come again? Sure. But not to destroy everything on the face of the planet Earth. As though to make it emphatic, three times he says, never again. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he said, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And... Never again shall there be a flood to destroy 
the earth. And then go down to verse 15. And he says, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Again, when you're studying the scriptures and you see a word or a phrase that's repeated, it's important. Three times he says, never again, never again, never again. It's emphatic. Now, notice what he doesn't lay down. This is not a conditional promise. He doesn't say in this promise, if you do this, then I will do that. In other words, it's not based or premised on the conditions of what we might do or not do. He says, he doesn't lay down any conditions. He simply states the fact there would be, never be any more universal floods. And from that day on, Noah and his family could enjoy life. What do you mean? Well, think about it. They had just gone through the most traumatic event they had ever seen in their life. The entire population of people that they knew, generation, maybe even family, extended family members who they knew who were destroyed and killed in this flood. Rains that came down, waters that came up. And you could just imagine after they get off of this ark in the days and generations to come, there'd be some concern when it goes to raining again. Is this going to happen again? There'd be some concern when the rivers begin to overflow again. Wait a second, is this is it happening again? And so he's giving them that promise, that, that understanding here, that you, you can enjoy life and not worry every time the rain begins to fall. Let me tell you this tonight. If you are afraid every time the weather comes, the storms come, the rains come, uh, the tornadoes come even, and all of that, uh, know this. You have a promise from God here. You don't have to worry. You are in his hands. You say, well, what about those that die in a storm like that? What about those who get destroyed in floods? Understand this. If you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, just as we've said many times before, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. It's a tragedy that happens. It's a tragic thing that happens in this world when people die in floods and people die from those kinds of events that happen. But you can rest assured and you don't have to worry. God is in control. And if you are a believer, he will usher you into his presence one of these days. Whether it's through a flood or it could be through an accident, it could be through some health reason uh, that brings death to our lives. But notice here, Noah and his family, he was saying to them, you don't have to worry that it's going to flood the entire earth anymore. You can enjoy life and not worry every time it goes to rain. There was a covenant, not only with Noah and his family, we saw there already, there was a covenant with creation. At least four times in this covenant, the Lord mentions every living creature. Look in those verses and you'll see that. He was speaking about the animals and the birds that Noah had kept safe in the ark during the flood. Verse 10 said, and every living creature that is with you, I'm making this covenant with, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So once again, we're reminded of God's special concern for animal life. When, when the Apostle John 
gets that vision, you remember, of, of the throne room of heaven, he sees four unusual living creatures worshiping before God's throne. And every one of them have a different face. The first has the face of a lion, the second that of a calf, the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle. Those four faces parallel the four kinds of creatures with whom God made this covenant. Wild beasts, cattle, humans, and birds. These creatures are represented always before the throne of God because the Lord is concerned about his creation. They remind us of all, that, that all creation worships God, that all creation praises God, who provides for his creation and rejoices in their worship. So he makes a covenant with the animal life. But then also notice there's a sign that he gives of this covenant. So to help his people remember this covenant, God is going to give them a visible sign. Now, when you look at some of the other covenants that come, the covenant with Abraham was sealed with the sign of circumcision. With Moses, the Mosaic covenant at Mount Sinai, uh, the sign was the weekly Sabbath that was given. Well, God's covenant with Noah and the animal creation was sealed with the sign of the rainbow in the sky. So whenever people saw the rainbow, it would always be a reminder to remember God's promise that no future storm would ever become a worldwide flood that would destroy humanity completely. God spoke of the rainbow as though Noah and his family were familiar with it. He didn't say, let me tell you what a rainbow is, like this was the first time that they'd ever seen a rainbow. Uh, so they were probably familiar with a rainbow, so it must have existed before the flood. Rainbows, uh, you know how they're caused. If you've taken any classes in school, you know that rainbows are caused by the sunlight being filtered through the water droplets in the air, and each drop becomes a prism, if you will, to release the colors hidden in the white light of the sun. Now, rainbows are temporary. They don't stay around forever. So just because you saw a rainbow today over in this direction doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to go see the same rainbow. It's a temporary sign. It's a temporary thing that we see. They're beautiful, but, but nobody, and nobody has to pay to see them. Their lovely color speaks to us of what Peter calls in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, the manifold grace of of God. So uh, look at the verse here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Uh, some versions use the word manifold there. But the word manifold or, or varied uh, there, that Greek word translated means various. It means many colored. It means variegated. So the rainbow reminds us of God's gracious covenant and the many colored grace of God. Think about it though. If the rainbow reminds us of God's faithfulness in grace, why should we fret or worry? When you see that rainbow, it ought to bring peace and comfort to your hearts. God hasn't promised that we're never going to experience storms, but he has promised that the storms won't destroy us completely. In fact, in Isaiah, he gives this promise in Isaiah 43, verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. 
When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So think about this. When the clouds of storms appear and the sun is hidden, you have nothing to fear if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're in that covenant relationship with him. Let's think about the bow. A bow is an instrument of war. But God takes that instrument of war and turns it upside down sideways here and, and transforms it into a picture of his grace and his faithfulness, a guarantee of peace. Now, God could certainly turn the bow of judgment on us because we've broken his word, his commands. We deserve his judgment. But what he has done is he has taken the bow that was used uh, for, for punishment and for, for judgment, he's taken the bow and he's turned it towards heaven and taken the punishment for us himself. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the just one suffering for the unjust. He was the one bearing the suffering that rightly belonged to us. So when you see that rainbow, not only should you think of the grace of God and the protection of God, but think of his mercy and his salvation that he took upon himself the punishment you deserved. Rainbows are universal. You see them all over the world. It's not just an American thing. It's not a, a South American thing. It's not an African thing. It's a worldwide thing. God's many-colored grace is also a worldwide thing. It's not just for us. God's many-colored grace is sufficient for the whole world and needs to be announced to the whole world. After all, God loves the whole world. Isn't that what he says in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. But the rainbow isn't only for us to see. Did you catch that? Go back to verse 16. Look at what verse 16 says. It's not just for us to see. Verse 16 says, When the bow, when the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it. Who's the I there? God. God says, I will see it. I will look upon it. Now, what's he saying here? God certainly doesn't forget his covenant with his people. But this is just another way of assuring us that we don't have to be afraid. That when we look at the rainbow, we know that the Father is also looking at the rainbow. You ever thought about that? When you're looking at the rainbow, you see God the Father is looking at the rainbow also. And therefore, it becomes a bridge that brings us together with him. I want you to think about three rainbows, three men in Scripture who saw significant rainbows. Noah saw the rainbow after the storm, just as God's people see it today. But when you get over to the book of Ezekiel, God's prophet Ezekiel saw the rainbow in the midst of the storm. When he had that remarkable vision of the wheels and the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28, Ezekiel also saw living creatures and each one had four faces. One was like a man, one was like a lion, one was like an ox, one like an eagle. The faces that John saw in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4. 
Now, of course, John the Apostle saw the rainbow also. Before the storm of judgment comes in the great tribulation that he goes on later to describe in Revelation 4, verse 3, he talks about. In fact, John saw the complete rainbow around the throne of God. We see the rainbow that comes from here, but there's a rainbow that goes all the way around the throne of God. On earth we see it in part, but one day in heaven we're going to see things fully as they are. So what's the personal lesson for us? The personal lesson for God's people is simply this. In the storms of life, always look for the rainbow of God's covenant promise. And just like John, you may see the rainbow before the storm. Like Ezekiel, you may see it in the midst of the storm. Or like Noah, you may have to wait until you come through the storm to finally see the rainbow of God's promise but you'll always see the rainbow of God's promise if you look by faith. That's the Old Testament version of Romans 8, verse 28. God's covenant with creation affects every living creature on this earth. And without it, there would be no sustaining stability of nature from day to day and from season to season, and we would never know when the next storm was coming or whether that storm would be our last. God wants us to enjoy the blessings of natural life and spiritual life because he gives us, as 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. So when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the world of nature around you becomes much more wonderful because the Creator has become our Father. When in later years, the American evangelist D.L. Moody talked about his conversion as a teenager. Here's what he said. He said, I saw in a new world the next morning the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy and all nature was at peace. He said, it was the most delicious joy that I've ever known. The God of creation is also the God of salvation. And we can trust in Jesus Christ. And when we do, then we can truly sing, this is my Father's world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. What a powerful message for us today. Lord, of this Noahic covenant that was made with Noah and his family and all of his descendants and all of creation through time and eternity, even for us today. Father, that when we look out sometimes after the storm and see the rainbow, Lord, what a blessing it is to be reminded, Lord, that you are protecting us. Lord, that you have made a promise with us and that we can rest assured in that promise and not have to worry and not have to fret. Father, to know that when we think of that rainbow, the bow itself that typically is used as a weapon is aimed towards heaven to remind us of the eternal punishment Jesus took upon himself that we deserved because you loved the whole world. So, Lord, we know that sometimes we see the rainbow after the storm. Sometimes, Lord, we see it in the midst of the storm. 
Father, I pray that while we're going through storms in our life, Lord, may we come to that place to just trust in you, to know, God, that no matter what happens, if I trust in you, if I love you, if I have surrendered to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I know him as my Lord and my Savior, that no matter what happens in this life, which is only temporary to start with, I will spend an eternity with you in heaven. But Father, I pray that we'll even see the rainbow before the storm. That before we ever get into those situations, Lord, that we'll know that you have shown your grace and your mercy toward us in that Jesus died in our place. So Lord, if there are those who are listening or watching tonight or here tonight who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, I pray tonight that they would come by faith to trust in him, to say, here I am, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross, his burial in the tomb and his resurrection from the grave. Come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, I pray that if someone's prayed something like that in their heart tonight, may they come forward. If they're watching online, may they comment there. And Father, I pray that you'll just bless them in their walk with you. Lord, help us all to remember that life is precious. It's precious to you and it ought to be precious to us. And so Father, we pray for you to be glorified as we choose life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 275, I surrender all. Will you stand, will you sing as the Lord lays upon your heart? Brother Mike. Thank you for being with us online there tonight. Hope you received a wonderful blessing from that message. Wednesday night, we'll be back with Awana uh, here after our fall break. So ready to kick back in with Awana. Uh, that'll begin at 5.30 to 7.15. We have our regular worship service and prayer meeting also at 6 o'clock, as well as our youth will be meeting. So come and join us if you can. We'll be in the book of Zechariah. Uh, this Wednesday night. So come and join us as we begin uh, that book. But you have a blessed week, a safe week, and we'll see you this coming Wednesday.